This is the Living Prophets Podcast, and I'm your host, Mark Maxmeister. This week, the Reverend Sophia Betancourt reminds us that it is not enough to wait for the long arc of history to bend towards justice, that it takes the weight of our daily lives, our daily choices, making the hard moves to bend that arc. And she tells her personal story as an immigrant to this country and the difficulty she has in these times in being a full citizen, but still being under suspicion. My grandmother once told me that I would never know what freedom was because I had never lost mine. This week, as I finally put a photocopy of my passport into my wallet for the first time, knowing that people of color are being forced to present proof of citizenship as a part of everyday encounters around the nation, a copy so that my actual passport can't be taken, and because my family and my community have asked me to increase the care that I take for my day-to-day safety. When I was a child, she would come from Chile to spend summers with me. She put knitting needles into my hands for the first time and supported me as I made a hideously ugly doll's blanket out of pink plastic yarn. (laughs) I remember my grandmother's patience in trying to explain to a 12-year-old who didn't even have a 12-year-old's command of her language what it had meant to be living in Chile when freedom could not be taken for granted. And she spoke of carrying her papers at all times. She spoke of people disappearing in the night, of the risks taken by those who painted political slogans of protest under cover of darkness. I didn't know our own history as a nation of training and placing Pinochet in power at the time. She didn't tell me. But she left me with this burning drive to know what freedom actually means and to work my hardest to ensure that no one else would ever lose theirs. This is a child's vision of ministry. It's hard to be the child of immigrants on both sides of your family. I descended from ancestors of two nations who bore the brunt of U.S.-trained dictators and not choose to be as fingerprinted, document-checked, and confirmably allowed as you can be. Honestly, if I only ever moved through the world in a box, a tidy box where my gender and skin color, race, queerness, and values couldn't be experienced, and all that were visible were my CV and my documentation, I would be about as safe as anyone in this country. But my relative safety, which lessens with each passing day, does nothing for families torn apart at our borders, nothing for those experiencing the horrors of our detention centers, nothing for those targeted for their supposed difference, nothing to support those successfully rising for justice in Puerto Rico, nothing to ensure that the universalism that I preach extends beyond the idea of a loving God to a true salvation for all. 
even as I can hear the many ways that we, as you use, might long to let ourselves off the hook for what I know to be theological malpractice. Pastor, is your God a white supremacist God? Only to the extent that I allow my concern for my own freedom, or worse, simply my own comfort and ease, to take precedence over the larger injustices that we are facing collectively, only when we argue about using the words white supremacy instead of doing the work of divesting ourselves from its legacy. Only when we refuse to allow the deep work we have been doing in community, right, to dismantle oppression of our black, indigenous, people of color, our transgender, our disabled beloveds, to change us at a deeply spiritual level. Only when our community of faith isn't fully living into expressed values. So, yes, maybe, maybe my God is a white supremacist God today, but less so tomorrow, and even less so with every day that is to come, because in our faith, my God is shaped by every one of us. I need the teachings of our faith to remind me that no one is free until we are all free. What do we do in times when strategies of fear are shaping the mind of our nation? When some are being convinced that spiritual and governmental terrorism are the only way to protect life as they know it, to protect their well-being and that of their families? And where some are being convinced that there is nothing to be done to stop this returning rhetoric of hatred and control other than capitulation and silence, that those are the best ways to protect their children or simply to survive. And there are three ways that individuals who are oppressed can deal with their oppression. One of them is to rise up against their oppressors with physical violence and corroding hatred. Oh, this isn't the way. Violence isn't the way. Another way is to acquiesce and to, to give in, to resign yourself to the oppression. Some people do that. But that too isn't the way because non-cooperation with evil is as much a moral obligation as is cooperation with good. That is another way. That is through organized mass nonviolent resistance based on the principle of love. It seems to me that this is the only way as eyes look to the future. As we look out across the years and across the generations, let us develop and move right here. We must discover the power of love, the power, the redemptive power of love. What do we do as bearers of love and justice in the world? We, who inherited teachings on the inherent goodness of humanity and the all-embracing arms of a loving God. We do the work of faithful living.
My colleague, the Reverend Leslie Takahashi, reminds me that it is not enough to wait on a complacent hope for the moral arc of the universe to bend toward justice. Right? We hang a lot on this teaching of the Reverend Theodore Parker's that was put into living blessed service by Dr. King. Leslie reminds me that it takes the weight of each one of us, our faithful living, our determination to rise up against tyranny, to dangle our weight from the end of that universal arc, that it might bend further through our living. I would invite us all to open our minds to the teachings that come from this faith tradition. Now, sometimes they feel like platitudes. It's a terrible thing to say, but I'm going there this morning. Right? They feel like the things that we say to one another in difficult times when we have no idea what might actually make something better. Right? So if the most common sayings of our inherited tradition sound like platitudes to you in these times, I want to ask you to reach deeper for the meaning within those teachings. Okay, so for example, the inherent worth and dignity of every person must not mean that we comfortably accept one another's presence with kindness. Right, that has never been enough. In these days, our first principle must mean that we will not rest until anyone's worth and dignity are threatened, that we will rise up, fight back in the face of tyranny against any one of the many blessed, sacred faces of our human family. What do our purposes and principles require of you? What do our living covenants ask you to sacrifice for a greater good? How do they serve you? as a living shield against the messages of intolerance and despair that are poisoning the nation. As a UU theologian, I am constantly lifting my concern that our liberal traditions focus on the use of reason and freedom of thought will block us from a true liberation. Right, a primary mark of liberal religion is that use of reason and the right to individual conscience. And these things matter. They do. But I'm surprised every time that I return to William Ellery Channing's words that I spoke earlier. And I remember that his historic call to a free mind comes from writings on spiritual freedom. Over time, we've chosen to emphasize his words on the intellectual rights and powers. But that text primarily asks us to overcome the barrier between our lives and the spiritual world. That's what Channing asked of us in freeing our minds, right? He asked us to prioritize our values in the world, even when detachment or wrongdoing, as he politely called it, would benefit us in the short term. He asked us to allow ourselves to be shaped by the promise of our faith instead of insisting on the comfort of what we already know. Does that sound familiar to the struggles we're in right now? And I call that mind free, writes Channing, which resists the bondage of habit, which does not mechanically repeat itself and copy the past, which does not live on its old virtues, 
which does not enslave itself to precise rules, but which forgets what is behind, listens for the new and higher monitions of conscience, and rejoices to pour itself forth in fresh and higher exertions. What will you give up for our collective salvation? Let us work this tradition that we have inherited until its promises are reflected throughout this hurting society, not for others to believe what we believe, not to get a few more people who look like me in the pews on Sunday morning, but so that everyone might be free. None of us are free. Free of mind, free None in body. Free in the basic dignities and protections of life. May we not rest until the chains of injustice are broken. And until then, may your restless days and your restless nights be blessed. Amen. This has been the Living Prophets Podcast, a search for meaning and for prophets in modern times. If you like this, go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify and give us a review. It helps other people find us. Till next time.